0: Hey guys, why don't you guys open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, that's where we're at. As you guys are opening there, i got a quick little announcement. Um, as most of you guys know, we've been spending a time uh, as a church uh, for the past like three weeks, four weeks actually, kind of a little bit longer, it's still been kind of, a lot of you guys are still praying, which we appreciate, please keep doing that. Oh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, we have some ushers, I would love to get you a Bible. And... Uh, if you guys don't own a Bible, it's our, our gift to you guys. Please go ahead and keep it. That's fine. Um, um, so we've been praying, and what we've been praying specifically for is that, as most of you guys know, the building that we have been renting for the past six years or so is actually going to be coming to a close. Um, the The owners have kind of let their intentions be known that they would like us to kind of move out of here, and uh, so we're basically trying to figure out what that's going to look like for the next chapter of Calvary Slow, where we're going to meet in... Uh, how we're going to do this, and uh, so what we've asked you guys to do, even though we don't really have a whole lot of answers, we've asked you guys to pray, because we believe that God has answers, that God has direction that he wants to give, and direct us, and guide us, and uh, not knowing exactly what that's going to look like, we have just wanted to humble ourselves before God, and, and ask him to lead and guide, so a lot of you guys have been praying, and um, asking God for help and assistance, and so there have been some things that have, have transpired and happened, things that we've learned about, things that we've been able to kind of... Uh, uh, acquire in terms of information to that we want to pass on to you guys. And so we thought it'd be really good for us to kind of do like a little family huddle. Um, and we'll be doing that Sunday, March 15th at about four in the afternoon. So what I would suggest is that if you actually call this your church, you know what I mean, if anyone asks you like, where do you go to church? And if your answer is Calvary Slope, that's the church family you belong to, um, really, really would highly recommend you making a point to, to come to this. Um, we did it at four o'clock in the afternoon. We've done a lot of like research to kind of find out like that actually works really good with parents. Uh, singles, obviously, they can figure out anytime, but it's always challenging with little kids. So if you can, whatever works best for you, if you need to kind of um, get child care or you're more than welcome to bring them, you feel, feel like that's best as well. Um, but yeah, come on out to that. It's a way for us to kind of share with you guys a little bit about what's been happening. Um, a little bit of information, prayer but really at the end of the day kind of realign in terms of what what our mission is and how we really sense God's going to be leading that. So um, the idea is we just want to convey to you some of the things that we've learned and we've uh, we've, see as kind of potential menu items, um, get some uh, feedback from you guys, kind of hear uh, how in terms of response what you think about that and then really just spend some time praying. Again we still feel like God has uh, a plan and God wants to do things. Um, We're still trying to figure out exactly what that looks like. So um, we might even have more information by that time as well than what we already have, which we've kind of got a bunch of stuff. But, so it would be really helpful for you guys to coming out to that, especially if you call this your church. If this isn't your church, um, then you're more than welcome to come out to that as well. It will be basically kind of like a family meeting, family huddle, family get-together, family business type stuff. So anyways, it should be fun. should be informative. So why don't you guys open again, if you haven't already done that, to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we'll be picking up this morning at verse 18 to 21. So over the past uh, year or so, we've been in this book of Ephesians, and we are actually coming to a very quick close, and we'll be uh, wrapping up this book very quickly. Um, What what we've been looking at over the past several months is two kind of larger themes that are within the uh, book of Ephesians. And uh, on the one hand, we've been taking a look at the subject of what we would call spiritual warfare, and how that impacts and affects uh, the work that God is doing in people's lives, So on a very personal level, if you were walking with Jesus, if you ever tried to walk with Jesus, you know that there is oftentimes uh, a tension that you find yourself in where there is pushback against your uh, forward progress or momentum, and that pushback oftentimes can be oppressive, it can be crippling, it can sometimes even lead you to sin because you uh, buy into the temptations, corrupting influences. Um, Paul describes that type of pushback upon your life as spiritual warfare, but Paul also points out that God uh, has not left us alone in this world filled with demonic activity and filled with spiritual warfare and spiritual, spiritual pushback upon our lives, but that God has provided a means so that we can push back upon the darkness as it pushes upon us. And this pushback that we've been given the ability to push back with is called uh, spiritual armor. Uh, Paul describes it as what we would maybe call the wardrobe of the Christian, and this is what Paul would describe as the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, or the breastplate of righteousness, or the uh, shoes uh, shod with the, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, of these shoes, um, the sword of the spirit, these are all things that we've looked at over the past several weeks, and if you weren't here, uh, you're more than welcome to just go to our website, CalvaryShow.com, we have all the messages always on there, they're free to download, free to listen, we also have the discussion guides that also go along with them as well. So you can dig deeper into the scripture as you would see fit. But what Paul, uh, we saw last week, he uh, kind of summarizes, brings to a close this whole talk or discussion about spiritual warfare by bringing to kind of a solution or a, a larger uh, means by which to appropriate this by way of uh, giving us a call to prayer, where Paul says, now, in all things, pray. So some have actually thought that maybe this is Paul's final uh, elaboration of the spiritual wardrobe. Um, other scholars are like, no, it has nothing to do with the spiritual wardrobe because Paul does not necessarily list any other type of uh, you know, element that it would correlate with. So whether or not you're kind of at the camp of like this is the spiritual wardrobe or this isn't the spiritual wardrobe, frankly, it doesn't matter. What we do need to recognize is it's an invitation to pray. And it's an invitation for our minds and our understanding to be reshaped by God's word to understand rightly what prayer is. So this kind of dovetails into a little bit of what we looked at last week. We looked at last week, specifically, as we kind of uh, started into the subject matter of prayer, um, we kind of pointed out a little bit the fact that we needed to demystify prayer a little bit because oftentimes when we think about prayer, uh, the tendency is for us to think about praying or praying people or prayer in general as basically being a spiritual practice that's, that's given to spiritual giants. I mean, super saints, people that are really close to God. And the tendency is for us to think about our lives and think, I'm not really close to God. In fact, a lot of times I feel really far from God. And sometimes I'm not even really sure if I'm really saved, why would I even pray? That idea, that notion of praying is not for me. It's for my grandma who sits at home in a rocking chair all the time. And she's just awesome, right? She loves Jesus. That's not really necessarily me. And the tendency is for us to walk away from prayer and then not engage in praying. And I think what happens is not only we do ourselves a disservice, but we also, it's a disservice that's based upon a distortion of our understanding of who God is. And the reality is, is that if there are distortions in your understanding of who God is, the right path would be for you to fix those distortions so that you don't go on in a relationship with God crippled. Does that make sense? So if you have any relationship, let's just say on a natural level with anybody, Uh, You know, a good friend of yours or a boyfriend or girlfriend or a spouse or somebody uh, that's within your family. Whatever type of relational connection you have with somebody, if there are distortions in your understanding about that person, that relationship is crippled. You guys guys all agree with that? The same is true with God. If you have distortions in your understanding of who God is and what God is all about and what God's purposes are for you, then you will not move forward in prayer. In fact, you you will avoid it. And you will be in a very vulnerable place, which is exactly where the devil wants you to be, so that when corrupting influences are, uh, you know, tempted upon you or given to you by way of temptation, you will constantly uh, play into those temptations, and when you play into those temptations, you feel trashy afterwards. You feel horrible. You feel guilty. You feel far from God. So it just continues to compound this cycle of, of dysfunctionality in the Christian walk. When in reality, what Paul is basically saying is that I don't want you to walk like that. Like God has called you to victory. God has called you to life. And so now live, rise and live the way that God wants us to live. So this is really an invitation to have our minds rightly uh, understand who God is by way of how he's revealed himself. That's really what it's an invitation towards. So with that, I want to read the passage uh, that we'll be taking a look at this morning, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get to work, kind of unpacking this and understanding a little bit about what Paul has to say here. So Ephesians chapter six, pick it up at verse eighteen, go down to about verse twenty-one. I'll pray, and we'll jump in. Paul says, "Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me." In opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador and change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So let me pray. God, we ask you that you would uh, open our hearts, open our minds, open our understanding as to who you are. You've got areas in our thoughts and our minds uh, that are completely false about you. We pray, God, that you would reorient our understanding as to who you are, rightly in light of how you have revealed yourself. God, that we would be able to quickly uh, and thoroughly confess, God, some of the false understandings, false notions that we have. So, Jesus, we invite you now to bring about the transformation of our hearts, minds, and thoughts towards who you are. God, so that we would rightly worship you as not only you deserve, but also as in a way that brings about fruitfulness and life and uh, flourishing within our own lives. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to look at really this morning are three specific things. First, we'll take a look at, Paul kind of gives us just obvious, this exhortation Paul calls us to to pray. So we'll take a look at kind of that exhortation. Second, we'll just take a look at some practical, like, hindrances to prayer. Like, why don't we pray? I mean, what are some of the practicalities? Like, why, if we know prayer is, like, good, if we know Christians pray, if we know that it's something that throughout the ages Christians have always done that, why is it on a practical level that you and I, we just simply don't? So I think... Um, part of being able to be an effective praying person, we've actually got to kind of confront those hindrances. What are the reasons why? And then finally, what we'll do is we'll just take a look at some of the, the help, I think, that we can have in being able to pray. In other words, uh, realigning sort of, if you would, the motor of our hearts, because we can talk a lot about praying. In fact, most of us, I think we can walk throughout the rest of our life and be like, yeah, 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 I know I should be praying, but I don't. And you feel really lousy. All right, how many of you kind of, in all honesty, have ever felt that way? It's cool. You can raise your hand. All right. That's probably most of us in this room. So what that just simply told me, and I'm in that camp as well, um, what that tells me is all of us know we ought to pray. All of us know we aren't praying enough. All of us feel the weight of the fact that we should be doing it better and doing it more often, but we're not. So um, again, unless something rewires the way that we think about praying, um, then we will just continue to be this church that always feels trashy always feels lousy, always feels as if like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know I should be praying, but I'm not. And so and we just stay in this slump. We stay in this pit and never really progress. And I think God wants to challenge that by challenging some of the hindrances, but then also practically look at some of the things that we can do to reorient our hearts towards that. So let's begin, jump in, take a look at Paul's exhortation to praying. He basically, on four different occasions, we'll take a look at five of them, but on four different occasions, Paul uses the phrase or the word all um, and four of those things we'll just take a look at just in verse 18 alone. And then uh, verse 19, he says, pray at all times. I think the implication here is that uh, we're to always be praying. Like um, this is, uh, you know, a lot of uh, Bible scholars and teachers and pastors and saints of past have basically seen prayer as basically like our breath. And I think that's a really uh, apt description of it, that it should be really the, the air we breathe when it comes to God, that we are just always breathing in, breathing out prayer, seeking God, calling upon God's name. And, and I think that's the idea that Paul is saying here. Because, again, this is one of those areas where we need to reorient our understanding to what prayer is. Because some of us, um, maybe even taught from a young age, that when you pray, you've got to close your eyes, you've got to fold your hands, and you've got to have a, phys- a certain physical posture that goes along or correlates to praying. So that if you don't have that, then somehow you are, like, you're, you're cheating. Uh, it's, it's really not real prayer. And I think probably one of the reasons why, um, especially uh, if, if you've been brought up in the church in any way, shape, or form, maybe why you may have thought that way is because when you're really young, I know probably for me this is probably what happened, was when I was really young and my parents were like, okay, we're all going to pray for dinner, all right, and I'd probably be ready to, like, hit my sister. My mom's like, stop hitting your sister, fold your hands, close your eyes, and stop looking around at the food. Um, uh, you know, close your eyes to the casserole and it's on the table like my mama was always in the casserole. So uh, then I would like have to train myself to think that way. But the older you get, if you still think that prayer is also uh, related to the posture of your body, then this phrase, pray at all times, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense because how can you pray at all times while you're driving and your eyes need to be closed? So again, here's my point. There's certain things that I think we need to unlearn about prayer and then relearn uh, about what praying is. So the idea of, like, closing your eyes, um, that's really just a practical aid and help for us so that we don't get distracted. I mean, you don't, you don't have to close your eyes to pray. In fact, there are passages in the Bible that describe Jesus as praying. Um, can you guys hear me? Yes. Um, uh, that Jesus is praying with his eyes open up towards heaven. So he's looking up to heaven praying. So the point of the matter is, it's not so much the posture of your body in praying, it's really the posture of your heart. So it really boils down to, where is your heart in response to God? Is it, is it praying? Is it crying out? Is it looking to God? So I think this is what Paul is describing, is that praying at all times, this opens the door to say that no matter where you're at, what you're doing, whether you're standing in line at a grocery store, or you're you know, driving on the road, or whatever types of circumstances you are in, you can be praying. You'll be asking God for help, looking to God. Thinking God, worshiping God. Those are all various forms of prayer. So here's a, one other example. I think just the book of uh, Ephesians alone is a great example of really uh, a book actually steeped in prayer. Turn real quick to Ephesians chapter 1. I'll show you what I mean. Ephesians chapter 1 actually begins with prayer. Paul, Paul actually starts the letter by praying. So listen how he says this in verse 15, chapter 1. For this reason, he says, I, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. These are all really good things, by the way. It's like you guys are trusting Jesus. You guys are loving each other. What an amazing church you are. Paul goes on to say in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul's saying, you guys are awesome. You're loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and might. You're loving your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to keep praying for you guys. And here's what Paul actually says. This is what I'm going to be praying for you. Paul says, I'm going to be praying... That God uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, sorry, he says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith, and then verse 17 is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and of knowledge, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what is the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, Jesus, when he raised him from the dead and then seated him at the right hand uh, above all power and authority and, and dominion, um, that at the name of Jesus, and he goes on to say, really, at the end of the, that every knee would bow. In verse 22, he says, And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So this is what Paul is basically saying. He starts by saying, I'm praying for you guys. That you would really grow in, that you got a your glimpse, your glimpse of who you really are in God. That you would know that you're this, this, this valuable uh, community of people that has been bought by Jesus' blood. And you've been brought into this family whereby your, your love is to pour out towards each other. And again, love needs, the word love needs to be defined. Because we tend to think of love as being nothing more than sentimentality. Love is really a deep commitment to one another. Paul's saying is that you guys are doing this. I'm going to pray that you're going to continue to do that. And the basis by which Paul basically says you're going to grow in your knowledge of who you are in God is by knowing who you are, knowing who God has called you to be. So this is what Paul is basically describing. So he's saying, I'm praying for you guys at all times. And in verse, or chapter 2 down to about chapter 6, really, to, uh, really, to where we're at right now, Paul spends all this time unpacking how, the, how his prayer has been actually practically answered. And he begins to kind of unpack that by saying, uh, this thing called the church is made up of all sorts of individuals that normally were actually in opposition towards one another. So uh, there was this divide in the early church between uh, Jew and Gentile. So it would be very similar to the divide that took place maybe like in the 50s and even long before that in our own country, say in the South, the deep South, where you had blacks and whites not getting together, not uniting. But what Paul is basically saying is that God is doing something that's absolutely full of healing. And the way he's doing this healing and restorative work is bringing both Jew and Gentile alike together. So one of the ways in which you know that God is doing a work in your life is really not based upon how many scriptures you memorized, how well you can sing the songs, uh, how many Bible uh, passages you've read. All of that is great. All that is beneficial, all that may be helpful to some degree. But the real evidence that God's begun to break through in your life, that you are saved. I mean, we have all this terminology and language that we use. But one of the ways in which you begin to identify that is how do you think about and how has your heart turned towards your enemy? Because if your heart is still filled with rage and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness towards your enemy, and yet you're singing songs on Sunday and quoting verses throughout the week, then you are not too much dissimilar than the scribes and the Pharisees. In other other words, it may simply be external, the impact of your life. It's never really penetrated or permeated deep into the core of who you are. In other words, you've just had your behavior changed or modified, but the core of your being has never really been impacted. So the, the, the evidence that the gospel has begun to change you is that you become a different person. You love different things. You hate things that you used to love. You love things that you used to hate. This is what the gospel does. It begins to change you. And this is what Paul's prayer is. is that He's like, like, I'm praying that God would do this for you. And then it begins to go through the entire book saying, this is what God's doing. God's answering my prayers. And then Paul finishes by basically saying, pray for me that I can continue to do this even while I'm in prison. Because Paul was writing this actually from in prison. So, again, the idea is pray in every situation. Um, Pray at all times. Pray on all occasions. And then finally, he says, secondly, or the second thing he says, pray with all prayers and supplications. I think the idea here is variety. There's lots of different varieties of prayers. There's short prayers because some of us are like, well, you know, my prayers need to be long. And the answer is not necessarily. I mean, they could be. I mean, it's, it's like having a talk or a conversation with somebody. If all your conversations with somebody you love... Are always like, kept to two sentences, then you'd be safe to assume that maybe there's a problem with the relationship, right? All right? Some of you are like, you're, you're married, your husband, you're like, oh, that's all oh, my conversations, like three words, like, get me the controller. Like, like, at some point, you realize like, somewhere there's dysfunctionality going on in the relationship. You've got to like, work on that. But the point of the matter is, we'll do another sermon on that, but that's another point. But the point that I would say is that there are short prayers, long prayers, um, and we see really all throughout the Bible. One of my greatest favorite examples of a short prayer is Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah was this Old Testament guy, and he was brought in before the king. And uh, back in that day, the king basically had this scenario where um, if he didn't want anybody around him, that kind of uh, was sad. Uh, He wanted everybody that was sort of kind of uh, uh, fakely happy, right? And so Nehemiah is really, really sad. And he's really sad because he just got bad news that his hometown has been burnt down. It's destroyed. Um, and his, his, where his family was from is ruined. And so he's really burdened, really troubled, really sad. And so the king asks him, what's wrong? You look really sad. So Nehemiah is frightened by this because he realized he could be killed. And immediately in that moment, it says that Nehemiah prayed. This is a simple little statement. It says, Nehemiah prayed. Now, obviously, Nehemiah didn't, like, ask for time out, hey, let me pray, uh, let me seek my God right now because I'm, I'm not sure what to say. Nehemiah, in that moment, didn't obviously have that uh, ability to be able to do that, but he prays. And it says next that God answers his prayer. So his prayer was short, was small, probably just, you know, God help me. And the fact of the matter is, is that prayer can be really short and simple, um, but prayer can also be lengthy and Drawn out, not necessarily drawn out in terms of a bad context, but drawn out in terms of, like, I want to spend some time seeking God, praying, calling him by his name, telling him who he is in terms of worship and praise and uh, reaffirming my knowledge of who he is, I should really say. So the idea is praying with all prayers and supplication. This also involves, I would say, um, thankfulness, giving gratitude and thankfulness to God, which is a form of praying, thanking God for who he is. It can also be prayer that's also coupled with what the Bible describes as fasting. Uh, meaning you give up something for a season or give up something for a period of time. Fasting oftentimes is described in the Bible as um, giving up food. But it can also be giving up, um, uh, uh, that's uh, uh, an idea of fasting that's incorporated in your weekly rhythm of life. It's fasting that's called Sabbath. And that's what Sabbath is. Sabbath is basically a fast day from work. Or another way to think of it, it's work stoppage. It's a, it's a way of basically saying to yourself, uh, and really within the context of God, that my work, what I do with my hands, what I do with my mind, what I do with my ingenuity, uh, is not what sustains me and keeps me. God does. And to prove that is I will take a day off and I will pull away from everything that I do and I will just focus on my family. I will enjoy God. I will enjoy everything that he gives me. It's the same way of food. It's one of the reasons why oftentimes Bible describes fasting also with food. Like you stop eating food for a season of time to basically say, it's not, what, it's not food that sustains me, God does. So every time I think of my hunger pains because I'm hungry, I'm going to go pray instead. It's a way of basically stopping something to realign, reorient our mind, to think about who is it that really ultimately, at the end of the day, sustains me. And that's what prayer does. Prayer reorients our thoughts, our understanding, our lives that everything we have is a gift from God, and everything that we have is, is upheld by God. That's what prayer does. So Paul says not only pray at all times, he says pray uh, with all prayers and sur- uh, supplications. Thirdly, he also exhorts to say pray with all perseverance. And then what Paul is describing here is the opposite would be to, uh, to faint. Um, so pray with all perseverance. And I think the fact of the matter is when we pray, when we think we should pray, but we don't pray. Um, Again, try to get to the understanding, why don't we? I think the fact of the matter is, most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we live in a culture that's very oriented towards instantaneous results. Do you guys agree with that? I think what happens is that everything in our culture basically trains us, uh, cultivates us, to expect answers instantaneously. Um, It's like texting. Someone texts you, and if it takes, like, half an hour for them to respond back with a text, are you not frustrated? You're like, I can't believe this. Why are they not responding to me? Like, I texted them half an hour ago, or like five minutes ago, it's ridiculous. Why are they not responding? Because we want instantaneous re- results. I mean, if we expect a long delay in response, we do this thing called email, all right? Um, or or we leave a message on this thing called voicemail, right? Even, even less known. But the point of the matter is, is that we are trained to expect instantaneous results, We do the same thing with food. We do the same thing with uh, beverages. We want things instantaneously. But I think what happens is when we carry this mindset into the church, into the practices of what it means to follow Jesus, what happens is we find great frustration. So what we do is we, we say we pray. We're like, I prayed. You're like, if someone really was, you know, clued in and understood prayer and they're like, ask you, like, how long do you pray for this? You're like, I prayed three days and nothing happened. Like, maybe that's, that's the problem. Like, like, you gave up too early. I mean, but look, let me give you an example. Throughout the Bible, prayer oftentimes, especially in the most diverse, challenging circumstances, involves long seasons of asking God with delayed gratification. That's a phrase we hate. I mean, it's why we have credit cards, right? We hate delayed gratification. So we want a system that's rigged so we can have instantaneous gratification. But when you carry that mindset over into the economy of God, we will always, always be met with frustration. Because God is not our butler. He doesn't just simply give us what we want when we want it. And I'll tell you why. Because God is more interested in the development of your character than he is in just simply dishing out answers And that takes time. That process oftentimes involves a regular habit of delayed gratification. And until we learn to recognize that that is the part of what it means to follow Jesus, that sometimes that is the price of discipleship, the cost of discipleship, is delayed gratification, then what happens is we will constantly get frustrated, and we will never actually avail ourselves of prayer, and we will always be in a perennial state of brokenness. Look, let me give you another analogy. The Bible describes the Christian walk as basically like life. I mean, I'm talking BIOS life, something that is living, that's organic, that grows. And I guess, to be honest with you, as you know, society and as culture goes we are becoming more and more synthetic as a culture. In fact, we would, in some ways, almost prefer synthetic things over organic things because we want instantaneous results. But synthetic things actually, at some point, never really satisfy, and they fall apart, and they break. And God realizes that this thing called the church is organic, and it takes time for it to grow. And so we've got to learn to address these uh, sort of hidden uh, underlying presuppositions that we have when it comes to approaching God. We dealt with a little bit of this last week when we talked about when we pray, oftentimes we approach God, uh, depends on how you approach God, will depend upon whether or not you actually do pray in the first place. And really whether or not what you expect in prayer. We talked a little bit about this last week that we said that if you view God, if your way of understanding God, is that, and your relationship to this God, is that if you see yourself as basically a squatter, all right, someone who's living in a building that you don't deserve to live in, if you see yourself as a squatter in God's apartment complex, and God's a really cranky landlord, if that's how you see God, then what will happen is, is you will never go to Him in just pure delight. You will always live in fear of, uh, you know, this, this frustrated, angry, landlord slash God, you will never just go up into his apartment and just be like, hey, can we hang out? I want to hang out with you. You're awesome. Because you will always live in fear. And not only that, it will impact the way that you pray. Because if you do pray to this God, let's say you're the squatter and your you know, monthly rent is you know, $5,000, and you maybe give $100 every month to cranky landlord. In your mind, that kind of is equivalent to praying. If you go to God and you're like, God, I prayed, five times and I didn't get what I asked for, why are you not giving me what I asked for? You will always deal with God in a way in which you are angry and frustrated with him because he's not answering your prayer because you actually think that God responds to, or or God is obligated to respond to what you've given him. Even though the rent that you've given him is, is, is really an obsolete figure. So the point that I would make is it matters how you view God. And that's contrasted with, if you see God as a dad and you're living in his house, not as a squatter, but as a son, and, and your dad owns everything, and not only does he own everything, he's extremely kind and loving and fair, just, is what the Bible describes. Then he's a God that basically says, All I have, it's yours. You're in my house, you're my son. You're not a squatter. I don't treat you as someone that rents out a room. You're my son. You're my daughter. Come to me. It matters how you view God. So Paul is basically saying, pray with all perseverance, as opposed to fainting, as opposed to giving up, as opposed to being trained in our minds in terms of expecting instantaneous results and then not getting them and being frustrated. And finally, uh, fourthly, Paul says, pray for all the saints. And this is a reference to really all believers. And... Um, depending upon what type of background you were brought up in Christianity, if you were brought up in Christianity, or maybe if you have not been brought up in Christianity, maybe you think of the idea of the word saint, you think of sort of a person that has kind of arrived to sort of a superhuman status. And in some segments of the church, that's the way saints have been viewed. But Paul's understanding of the word saint here is actually far more beautiful, and it's far more shocking and surprising. Because what Paul is basically saying is that if you are in Christ, if you're one of God's sons and daughters... You are his saint. You are a saint. In other words, there's an honored position that has been bestowed upon you because of what God has called you into. And so Paul is saying, pray for all the saints. This means everyone that calls upon the name of Jesus. Paul calls us, invites us to pray for all Christians. Now, the fact of the matter is, uh, this is, again, one of those things I think the church has to address because sometimes the church can get really ingrown to where we begin to think, like, well, the only saints in this town is us. Right. We're the only saints. We're the only ones that do Christianity right. We're the only ones that sing right or that preach right or teach the Bible right. And we have this sort of tendency to kind of view uh, ourselves in this very uh, exclusive type of a way. And everybody else out there, I mean, if they are saved, then it's highly suspicious, highly skeptical. And not only that, it's maybe very, you're very critical of that. So when Paul says pray for all the saints, who's, who's he talking about? He's literally talking about everybody that names the name of Jesus throughout the known world. So, so, this isn't just Ephesian Christians to whom he's talking about. This is everyone that names the name of Christ. So, let me give you an example of how we, on a practical level, try to live this out within our own community. Um, regularly, frequently, I gather with other uh, leaders, Christian leaders in the community, and we pray. We seek God together. We pray for each other. We share. We become really vulnerable with each other in struggles and challenges that we go through. We share those things. We pray for one another. We also pray for each other's churches. We truly love each other. I think it's amazing to be able to say that the other leaders, other pastors, other leaders in San Luis Obispo are my good friends. And we pray frequently for one another. Pray for their church. They pray for you guys because Paul says, pray for all the saints. Fifthly, finally, Paul then says, pray for boldness. Pray for boldness that we may proclaim the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is the phrase that he uses there. And the idea that I think that Paul is saying, and I want to read just a little passage here, and then I'll explain it. Um, verse 19, Paul begins, he says, and also for me, this is a request or a calling to pray for him. He says, and also for me that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So here's what Paul is basically describing. He's saying, in a very poetic way, that I'm actually in prison right now. And, but Paul also identifies who he is, and he says, I'm an ambassador of Christ. I love this idea, because here's Paul in a very tragic scenario in his life. I mean, he's imprisoned. So if you think about the idea of what it means to be in prison, it means that there's something imposed upon you that you're powerless against. Does that make sense? That's what imprisonment is. Uh, it could be debt. If you're in debt, I'm going to ask you if you're in debt because probably a lot of us are. If you're in debt, that means that you have imposed upon you the weightiness of some form of you owe something to someone. Um, if you are, if you've ever had any form of like really long-term um, type of a sickness, um, that that's you're, you're you're, you're under the power or the influence of something other than health. In other words, you're, you're in debt to that. Uh, you're a slave to that, in other words. Here's Paul in prison. He's not free. He can't come in and out of the prison cell. Paul's a, a slave here. But Paul is basically saying, while I'm a slave or while I'm in debt or while I'm in prison in this circumstance, in chains, my prayer, uh, my, my request for you guys to pray is that you would pray for me that I would be bold. And the word that he actually uses there, bold, is is, is another way that could could be translated as fiercely bold. Like, powerfully bold. The idea is that Paul is, like, realizing he's in a very challenged circumstance and he's very limited on what he can do. But he says, with the limits and restrictions that are imposed upon me, I want to shine brightly for the glory of Jesus. Think about this. What are the things in your life right now, that are imposing restrictions upon you, that are pressing upon you, that are pressing, pushing you down. Think of the word depression. The word depression basically means to go from having a state of being filled to being pressed out, depressed, pushed down. What are those things? And, and not only that, do you have a good sense? Do you understand the sense of, of, of mission in your life? Or are you just lost in despair? Here's Paul in prison. He's like, guys, I'm in prison. I have no control over this. And what I'm asking for is that while I'm in this horrible situation, that I can boldly proclaim and announce the greatness of our God that rescues and saves. I love this. And this is Paul's mentality. Paul understood the gospel in a way that it just transformed him. So I want to move on real quickly to kind of take a look at a couple of things in terms of hindrances of prayer, and we'll wrap this up. So what are some of the things that hinder us in prayer? And this is not in any way exhausted. It's just kind of simple uh, uh, distractions. I think distractions is a very practical, simple hindrance to prayer. In other words, if you've ever sat down to pray um, or just kind of focus yourself and you're like, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read a book or whatever, uh, you know that in that moment, everything can go wrong in your life. Right? How many of you have ever had that experience? You like sit down, and you're like, all right, I got a little bit of time. I'm just gonna focus. I'm gonna pray, and all of a sudden, the phone that never rings like rings. All right, you're like you don't really get texts. Right? You're like now it rings, um, or all sorts of things happen that you never expect to happen, or you find your mind thinking about things that kind of take you off in this. Rabbit trail, and your mind is just leading you, misleading you into all these other areas. And where before you know it, that little 45 minutes that you had in terms of a window to sit down and pray or read or focus on God is now gone. And it's like, i got to get on with your day. So distractions are things that can so often, so quickly rob us of this time. And it's one of the reasons why Paul, I think, actually says, when you pray, be alert. When you pray, be alert. The idea is is go into a posture of prayer, knowing, being aware of the fact that there will be opposition. There will be these distractions that will come in. Um, Jesus, when he sat down and he prayed with his disciples just before he would have been crucified, he goes in the garden and he actually tells them, uh, you know, be aware of the temptation to sleep. He says, resist that and pray. Be alert, stay awake and Pray. Because for them, the distraction was not Facebook or Instagram. For them, the distraction was sleepiness. And Jesus is like, look, this is a really strategic, uh, horrible hour for me, and I'm asking you, would you pray along with me? But they couldn't, and each time they allowed distractions to overtake them. Uh, Another one, I think, is disbelief. Uh, Again, how you view God will actually shape whether or not you press into God or whether or not you run from God. Disbelief is basically the reaction that says, I can't believe, or I won't believe, or I don't want to believe, or I have misalignment in terms of my belief as to who God is. So again, this is where I would simply say, how you understand or who you understand God to be will absolutely impact and affect whether or not you press into God by faith and pray, or whether or not you run away from God in disbelief. So again, like I said, if your perception of God is that he is this really frustrated, cranky, angry, disappointed landlord and you are a squatter on his property. You will never, ever press into him in love and prayer. The only time you will ever go to him is if you are in a dire, desperate situation where you know your apartment building's burning down. You're like, I need help. I don't know who to turn to except, oh, the landlord. I know he doesn't really like me. I don't really like him. I was afraid of him, but I need help in this moment, so I'll go to him. And if he responds or if he doesn't respond, there's just this constant tension. that's being born right there, but... What pushes back disbelief? Actually, the Bible answers that same question. It says that faith comes by hearing. Faith is the opposite of disbelief. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So the one reason why we encourage you, read your Bible. Like, find a Bible. Invest your mind in a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have an amazing lost and found with lots of really good Bibles with leather on them. I mean, really good ones. We're trying to get rid of them. Um, And and so my point is, find a Bible, get a Bible, let the Bible begin to inform and change and transform your understanding as to who God is. Let it reshape your thinking and understanding of who God is so that in coming to see who you are in light of this great God, you would see yourself not as a squatter, but as a son or a daughter. That's not just simply endure or put up with, but is actually welcomed and loved. See, if you saw God like that, you would, you would gladly come to that table. You would gladly come and feast at the banquet he lays out. It's one of the reasons why the writer of Hebrews actually says, come, let's enter boldly in this throne room of grace. I love that phrase. It's not a throne room of judgment. It's a throne room of grace where we can find help in our time of need. If you think of that throne room of God as a throne room of judgment, how often will you go? <laughs> Never. Like never, no one's like. I want to go hang out with dad. Will beat me, or abuse me, or accuse me, or threaten me. That's why we have to have our mind rewired to think rightly as to who God is, and this is how the Bible reorients our understanding about this. And finally, uh, we have to have our desires really rewired. See. I think really at the end of the day, most of the time, we don't pray more is because we we simply don't want to. And sometimes the reason why we don't want to is because our mind has been wired to think about God in a false way. So if we allow the gospel, allow God's word to reshape our thinking and our understanding as to who God is, then that rewires and changes our heart. So what happens is the the very motor that drives us, that motor is called our desires or our heart, if you would, That very thing is being reshaped, and as it's reshaped, we want to press into God. And that pressing in is also known as prayer. That's what happens. So, this leads into the final thing. Because, look, I I can stop right now and just be like, look, at the end of the day, you guys all know you should pray. You aren't praying enough. You should feel really, really bad about yourself. Repent, let's go home. All right, most of us will go home and feel really full of despair, be like, "Oh my gosh, the Christian life is just horrible." And some of you would be like, "I don't ever want to enter into that thing," and you would absolutely be have a credible reason why. But thank God that's not where the gospel leads us, because Paul literally builds this entire structure of prayer, this household of prayer, this organic reality of prayer upon the fact of what he would describe as the good news. And Paul even answers the question. He says, "The guys, pray for me that I can go out to continue to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, the good news, what God has done. See, let me put it this way. To the degree that you see that God is not angry with you, he's not a frustrated landlord, and you're just simply a squatter on his property, but rather he's a father that loves you, he's a father that has gone to extreme lengths to deal with your brokenness, to even deal with your rebellion. Not by crushing you, but by his son being crushed for you. To the degree that you see that, you begin to see that his disposition towards you has changed. He loves you. He welcomes you. He calls you. Invites you. And if you see that, if your heart is warmed by that, transformed by that, embraces that, we call that word faith then you will enter into this thing called prayer. Not reluctantly, not hesitatingly, but joyfully. This is really what the Bible invites us to. And it actually changes our desires. It actually renews, rewires our desires. So rather than prayer being this thing like, I got to do because that's what the Bible says, it becomes a thing where I, I, I get to do. I want to hang out with my father. He loves me. He cares about me. He hears my concerns and my complaints this is a great passage in the Old Testament. It says, some of you guys are probably familiar with if you're at all familiar with the story of Israel when they were in Egypt. It says, they cried out uh, in their despair. But here's what I love about this passage. It's this little strange omission. It, a lot of times I've heard that passage where it says, and they cried out to God in their despair. And it actually says in Hebrew that they did not cry out to God. So here's Israel in Egypt under oppression, and they cry out under the weight of their despair. And then the next verse, it says, and God heard him. Do you know that God just responds to even the very thoughts that you have for his help? Even if you don't even know him by name, God has a way of coming to you, revealing to you who he is in and through Christ. He's reshaping your understanding of who he is. He's a God that responds. Here's two final practical things I'm finished this is practical thoughts and just closing um so really next slide is not only let the gospel renew our desires We just look at that but pray what's on your heart because some of you might be like well, where do i begin how do i do this get okay, first of all just realize the gospel's got to renew your desires otherwise if you try to approach this thing called praying and you, you don't even care about god or if you are frightened of him and you want to run from it i don 't care how hard you press into it you'll never you 'll never make any progress, but if you let the gospel reshape who you are in light of this God and how He views you then then your desires will then lead you into this secondly, pray what 's on your heart because some of you are like i don 't really know what to say i 'm not sure how to begin uh, that 's okay. Do you know that the Bible actually describes that God sometimes even hears our grunts and our groans we don 't even know what to pray Romans eight says that God just hears our like little moments of pain where we just can't really even say or articulate what we're really feeling, God says, I know what's on your mind. And you see this sometimes even with like moms and their little kids, right? When kids are like, you know, just learning how to talk, they can't really articulate what's going on, but they can just be like, oh, and like mom's like, oh, he wants a banana. Like, are you kidding? How in the world did it happen? How did you interpret that? Like, oh, to I want a banana. Like, like, because moms have superpowers. Like they know what a child wants. They can interpret the grunts. God interprets what our pains are, and what pains us interprets that into what we need. And finally, use the Lord's Prayer as a template, and this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. We looked at this a little bit last week, but I, I really believe Jesus gave this as a template to look at it, to not just simply recite it, I mean, you could do that, that's fine, but to see it as a template. So when he starts out, when you pray, say, our Father who's in heaven, it's the idea of, Begin by training, retraining your understanding to think of God not as an angry landlord, but as a loving Abba, Daddy, cares for you. And move on into the rest of that. And I want to finish um, and just respond and pray because at the end of the day, God responds to prayer um, on a practical level. I just want to finish. I have the words to be kind of mountain up, and as they're coming up, just pass this thought. I've been reminded a lot lately of just the importance of praying and how God responds to praying. He doesn't always respond exactly the way that we, we, we want. And this is the thing is that God's, again, he's not our genie. He's not our butler. He's not our bellhop. That when we ask him, God just simply does what we want. But there are times as a loving father, God does respond. And God does do things in response to answer to our, to our prayers. So give me an example. Um, Several weeks ago, I shared with you guys briefly, actually first service, if you heard first service, you would have gotten to hear them. They were actually here. There was a couple in our church that um, the lady was actually diagnosed for the second time with cancer, and she had um, masses from her, she described it this morning, like from her uh, throat all the way down. She had originally had been diagnosed with breast cancer, and then that was supposedly healed, and then uh, several months later, in fact, it was like the beginning of uh, December of, of 2014. Um, she was re-diagnosed with, with cancer, and the doctor basically said, you got masses all throughout your body, and uh, you basically got four to six months to live. It's terminal. There's, there's really nothing we can do. If you do chemo, you might give yourself two more years, and that's about it. So they called my wife and I, and, and a bunch of other people were praying for them, but my wife and I got a chance to go over pray for them uh, the day before they were going to go down to Santa Barbara and get another scan. We laid hands on them and just prayed for them and just kind of heard their story and all that. And uh, So she goes to... Uh, uh, Santa Barbara. He texts me the next day. He's like, the scan that they gave, which is like this ridiculously thorough scan. He says it came back totally clean, like nothing, no, no tumors, no masses, nothing was at, at all uh, observed on the scan. So it's amazing. So I, you know, I, I called him, and I'm a skeptic, to be quite frank with you, and I'm totally cynical and whatnot, just like some of you. But so I called him up. And I'm like, how, how reliable is this? He's like, no, this is this is like the most reliable cancer skin that you can get, and especially her being uh, diagnosed the second time around, the chances of this, all the doctors, like, there's, there's no way the skin is going to come back with nothing on it. But, but that's exactly what happened. So we are reluctantly saying, uh, not reluctantly, I should say hesitatingly accepting this as a miracle of God, that God has healer i'll give you one of the final example the pastors that we pray for like i just mentioned um we last time we met the uh, pastor one of the pastors he's like hey can you guys pray for me for the past several months i've been having these gnarly debilitating migraines and we're like yeah cool let's let's all pray so we all gather around we all laid hands on him and prayed for him honestly i forgot about it i hung out with him this past week and he's like oh guys i forgot to tell you but um you know guys when you prayed for me last time i the literally the next day Uh, Or that day, I I had never had another migraine. And that was like a month ago. He said, I've I've been having them for months. um, And I did not have any more migraines since the day that you guys prayed for me. Like, I'm taking that as God healed me. So, again, I I hear that. I'm just like, amazing. God does answer prayer. He doesn't always answer the way that we want. But he always answers, always does what's best for us. And this is where confidence and trust in God is. this doesn't mean that God always heals everything. Because there are people I prayed for, along with others, many others. And I've seen God heal cancer, heal some of these things. And others, they pass away. So, so this is not magic. This is going to a father who loves us, calling upon his name. And that's what I want to invite you into. So what we're going to do in response, we're going to all just stand. Let's all stand. We'll sing, closing some, some songs. But I also want to just take a, a moment and pray. So if you're here this morning, and each one of us, we may be going through circumstances. It may be circumstances that affect us uh, emotionally, mentally, physically, financially. Uh, We may find ourselves in some form of, like, prison, like I described Paul was. But what I want to do is I want to take a moment to pray for those of you that kind of feel as if you're in that, like, prison. Like, financially, emotionally, spiritually, even physically, maybe there's a sickness that you've been diagnosed with, and it's debilitating to you. Maybe it's the fear of a sickness. You haven't even been diagnosed, but you just are afraid, and you're debilitated by the fear of that. It's crippled you. Um, These are things that we believe that Jesus cares about. God wants to help us. God wants to bring his presence into our lives and either heal us or give us grace in the midst of non-healing, awaiting the final, ultimate healing. So if that's you... If you're here and anything that's going on, this is kind of always a challenging part, like the awkwardness of getting past this, but that's you, and you just need prayer. Would you just raise your hand where you're at? And I just want the people around you just to gather and lay hands on you and pray for you. Anybody? You just kind of feel like that's you. You kind of feel as if you are being crushed under this weight of either emotional, financial, spiritual, physical types of circumstances. And you just, you just feel like, I just what I got to lose? I'm going to have someone pray for me. Just raise your hand. Anybody? A couple of you. Cool. Anybody else? I know it's always hard. Okay, so if you've got your hand raised, raise it really high. If you're around those people that are raising their hands, would you mind just gathering around them? You might need to cross an aisle. It's fine. Um, just go gather around them and lay hands on them right now and just begin to pray for them. Just begin to pray for them out loud. Anybody else, you just feel like you need prayer. This is really just you saying, hey, I just need someone to pray for me. I got stuff I'm going through. I just want to respond. And maybe God may want to heal, restore, give grace. Anybody else? There's your hand. Cool. So just go ahead and pray out loud right now so they can hear you, and then we'll just have a posture of waiting upon God, and we'll finish with a couple of songs. Sound good? We have communion in the back as a way of reminding ourselves of what God has done for us, that our healing, our wholeness, actually uh, is, is free to us. Okay, I want you to hear this. It's free to us, but it's costly. And, and we partake of the bread and the cup as a way of reminding us of that cost that the cost for us who are broken to be made whole was the whole one being made broken. That's why we take bread that's broken. We eat bread that's broken. We drink, you know, we dip it in the cup, it's symbolic of wine that's been poured out, it's symbolic of blood, life being poured out for us. But that's what brings us to a place of wholeness. So let's respond. Let's just pray. We'll sing. Partake of communion. If you're here and there's other things maybe that are going on in your life and you just feel like you wanted to raise your hand but you felt nervous, it's totally fine. There's no shame there. If you just need prayer, we'll have some people over off to the cross that would just love to pray for you. So let's let's respond. I'll pray and we'll just sing. The rest of you guys that are praying, you can just continue praying um, until you feel maybe released. Um, so God, to just thank you right now for great grace. Thank you that we can enter. Boldly and yet humbly into your presence. So God, we want to respond in love and worship to you. We thank you, God, that you care about us and you care about our our challenges and the things that we go through. So we seek you, turn to you, call upon you.